you'll turn with me to um, if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, verses one through seven. That's where we'll be going in a few moments. Um, and so if you'll turn there in your Bibles, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, uh, the words will be on the screen as well if you don't have your Bible with you this morning. But today we finish up our series going through and looking at the king in the manger. This is, the characters of Christmas is what we've been going through, looking at the different people we typically see in the nativity, not just looking at who the people are, but the character that they have, what role they play, and what we can learn from them. Today we have a little bit of a different person that we're looking at as we are looking at the king in the manger. We're looking at Jesus, the baby born on Christmas Day, the one that we celebrate, the one laid in the manger, the one that the, uh, the, the shepherds were told about, the one that the wise men sought after, the one that we gather to worship today. And so as we consider, consider Jesus, as we consider the king in the manger, we're going to start with Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone was sent to his town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, this time that we can come together, that we can look at your word, we can see what it says to us, and God, I pray that you would work in our heart as we consider the king in the manger, as we consider who this child is, what he came to do, and how we should respond to that. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us, you'll convict us, you'll reveal your truth to us, and that we could worship you and follow you as a result of what we look at today in your word. I pray that you'll be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want us to consider, again, this is a little different than the other characters because Jesus is a man. He's fully man, but he's also fully God. And so he's different than we are, and we cannot fully learn how we ought to be, although he is our standard. We can't learn exactly, and we can't live exactly like him because his purpose is different from our purpose. So the first thing I want us to look at is, you know, often we think about at the same time of year, the song, What Child Is This, right? You've heard that song, you've heard it sung, and that's the question I think we need to ask. What child is this? Who is Jesus? It's the question that every person has to answer for, for themselves before God. Who is Jesus? How do you respond to what Jesus has done? But the first question is, who is he? What is the big deal about the baby in the manger? We talked about last week how many people have forgotten the reason for the season because they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know why he came. They don't really know why we celebrate Christmas. And for many, Christmas is more a time about getting together with family, exchanging presents and red and green and Christmas trees than it has anything to do with the baby in the manger. And so before we go any further, we have to remind ourselves and we have to declare when we tell this story who Jesus is. 
Well, the first thing that we want to do is we do need to acknowledge that Jesus is a historical person. Jesus was a man born in first century Bethlehem. There are people that question, was Jesus a really a person? With any story of antiquity, there are times where people will question, is this an authentic story or a tale that has been made up? Many accounts have been given that Jesus of Nazareth really walked the earth, really ministered, and was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Jesus was a man born in first century Bethlehem. We also know that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus Christ, I remember when I was a child, I did not know this, Christ was not his last name. Christ is a title. It's important that people know that. There's many who maybe don't. Jesus Christ, I think, might have been the daughter, or might have been the son of Mary Christ and Joseph Christ. Well, no, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah, the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus was the one that the Jews were anxiously awaiting, the one promised to them who would deliver his people, who would set up a throne of David that would, have a, that would never end. They were waiting for the Messiah, and Jesus was the Messiah. We're seeing these things from the stories we've even looked at, how the angel proclaims that the Messiah is born, the one who will take away the sins. We know that the, the wise men, the, the magi that came, they said they were looking for the king of the Jews. Jesus is the king of the Jews. We also see from Scripture that he's the son of God. He also declares himself to be the son of man. And we know that Jesus is God in the flesh. So these are a lot of statements I'm making. I'm saying these things to you, and, and hopefully these are things you know that are true about Jesus. These are things you believe about Jesus. But just because you've heard it before, just because you've been told it, does not mean that you know why we believe these things. It doesn't mean you know even maybe why you believe them or you should believe them. Or are these things just stuff that people say? You know, there are many people who doubt that Jesus is God. There are people that maybe will agree he walked the earth. Well, I think Jesus was a good teacher. He has good things he said. Maybe he was a prophet. Other religions maybe even claim. So Islam, Muslims, will believe that Jesus was a person. They believe he was a prophet of God. They don't believe what Christians believe about Jesus. So what does the Bible say about Jesus? Does it say that he's God? Does the Bible claim that Jesus is God? Does the Bible claim that these things that we believe about Jesus are true? Does Jesus say these things about himself? Well, let's look at it. What does the prophecy say about the one that will come? Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Even in the prophecies about Jesus, we see them declaring him to be Mighty God. The name that they said about the one who would be conceived, he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. If those who were looking for the Messiah would have paid attention, they would have realized that it was not just a man they were waiting for, but God himself that would dwell with man. We see this expanded on in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all man. So we know from this, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And what do we know about that Word? In verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. Jesus is the Word of God, the Logos of God, and became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God in the flesh. Doubting Thomas, and it also says that he's the Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Doubting Thomas, wouldn't you hate it if that's how you remembered doubting whatever your name might be? John chapter 20, 27 through 29. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas does this in his response to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus doesn't correct Thomas by calling him his, when Thomas calls him his God. Rather, he affirms what Thomas says by confirming his belief. We also see Peter, one of Jesus' one of Jesus's disciples, one of his primary disciples, one of the inner three in 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those through the, who, through, who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Peter calls Jesus God our Savior. The Apostle Paul in Titus 2.13 while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He calls Jesus our God and our Savior. So one thing is very clear from Scripture. The people who follow Jesus believed that Jesus was God in the flesh. That He was the Son of God, He was God in the flesh, that He was the Savior, that He died on the cross and they believed He was raised to life. There is this argument that people who don't believe in the authenticity of Scripture. They don't believe that it's the Word of God. They will argue that these are beliefs that were made up at a council hundreds of years following the death and life of Jesus. And they'll say that he wasn't resurrected, that his disciples didn't believe he was God. They, this is all just made up later. Those who followed Jesus believed he was God. From the very moment that he was resurrected, from the moment he was alive, they believed he was God. Well, some people will respond to that. Well, maybe they believed he was God, but Jesus didn't say that he was God. This is an argument people will make. That maybe they believed he was, was God in the flesh, but Jesus never said that. Let's look at what Jesus said. What did Jesus say about himself? In John chapter 8, 58 through 59, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Well, what is the situation here? Jesus is talking to uh, some of the, the Pharisees that are around him, and he's saying that Abraham longed to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. And they say, well, you're not even 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? And this is his response. Before Abraham was, I am. Notice their reaction. They picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because to them, he had committed blasphemy. What is blasphemy? That Jesus, to them, in their minds, a man, was claiming to be God. Now, why do we think that? When Moses encounters God in the burning bush, and he asks God to say, well, if I go to my people and they don't believe me, who should I say has sent me? Tell them that I am has sent you. Jesus is saying that before Abraham was, I am. He's revealing himself to his people, 
by the name he revealed himself to them in the Old Testament. And he's telling them that before Abraham was, I am, that he is preexistent, that he is eternal because he is God in the flesh. And later in John 10, 30-33, he makes it even more clear. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, because, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. The reason Jesus was crucified on the cross, the reason they attempted to stone him multiple times, is because Jesus made it very clear who he was. Now, there are times when we look at Scripture that it's not abundantly clear to us all the time. When we see him say, before Abraham was, I am, if we are not raised and steeped in Jewish tradition, we don't understand the implications of that, perhaps. If we're not understanding that him saying that he and the Father are one is him claiming to be God, we miss what the Pharisees clearly understood. When he claims to be the Son of Man, the one that in Daniel is going to have all authority and power and sit on the throne of God and God would give him all authority and power, when he reveals himself to be the Son of Man, perhaps we miss the, the, the importance of that, the significance of that. Because I always wondered that growing up. Why, if Jesus is the Son of God, does he talk about the Son of Man? Well, the Son of Man is very clearly the one who all people will worship as clearly displayed in the book of Daniel. So here's what we see. Jesus, all of these things we've heard about him, that he is God in the flesh, that he's the Messiah, the King of the Jews, that he is God in the flesh. The people who followed him believed it. Jesus said it about himself. So Jesus, as the Bible says, is the Son of God, God in the flesh. That's who this child is. What child is this? It is God, our Creator, descending, condescending to human flesh, fully man, fully God, in a manger. The book of Philippians talks about how we should imitate Christ's humility who came in the form of a servant. Because that's the next question we have to ask. If we know that Jesus is God, or at least that's the claim the Bible makes about him, that's the claim he made about himself. If Jesus is God, why did he come? Why was the king of all things, the sovereign ruler of the universe, the one who has preexisted time itself, why is he wrapped in cloth lying in a manger? Why did this happen? Why was he on earth 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem? What is the point? Why did Jesus come? Before we understand why he came, we have to understand what he's doing. He's here. He came to be the Savior of his people. That's what his name means. Jesus means God saves. And he came to save. What is he saving people from? If you've ever heard the phrase that I got saved, what did you get saved from? If you don't know, if you don't know the answer to that question, did you get saved? Salvation is from something. You watch a movie and the hero saves the, the person in distress. What, what happens there? There's, there's a problem that needs fixing and you need the person to save them from the problem. Jesus saves us from the problem. And the problem is sin. 
sin entered into the world by one man. And the Bible talks about how through Jesus, the new and better Adam, sin is taken away from those who will believe. But we have a need for salvation. We have a need for forgiveness because sin results in our separation from God and our deserving of punishment. Sin results in our separation from God and our deserving of punishment. And all people from the time of Adam have sinned. They have rejected God. They've rejected His goodness. They've rejected His ways and have gone after the desires of their heart. And the Bible talks about how our inclination is toward evil rather than what is good. All of the stories that we hear and we tell the children throughout the Bible, sin is ever-present. We talk about Noah and the ark and the animals, but why did this happen? Because every inclination of mankind was toward evil. And God regretted that he'd made mankind, so he judged the sin of the people. He cleansed the earth, but delivered and had forgiveness, had grace upon those who believed and followed him and Noah and his family. But still there was sin, and sin has persisted. And we see that God gives his chosen people through Abraham, and then through Moses they're given the law, and they're told this is God's standard. And what do they consistently and constantly do? They break his law. As Moses is on the mountain with God on Mount Sinai, he comes down with the commandments of God. He sees them sinning. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And what are they doing? Worshiping a cow that they've made for themselves out of gold. Mankind sins consistently. And so they're given the law. And what does the law reveal? Their sin. As the Apostle Paul says, I wouldn't have known what it was to covet unless the law said, do not covet. And so when we look at God's law, we look even at the Ten Commandments, very clearly you see, well, I've broken that one, I've broken that one, I've broken that one. And so through the law, the Bible says, comes the knowledge of sin. When we examine ourselves by the law that God gives us, we see very clearly that we are guilty. And we see that God punishes sin because He is a righteous God. If someone harms you or steals from you or hurts you or hurts someone you love, every inclination of your being is for justice to be served. You want people who are evil to pay for what they've done. When we hear of terrible tragedies that have happened, evil people who've done evil things, we rejoice at the end when they are caught and are punished for their crimes. But what man often fails to consider is their own wickedness. And the problem that every person from the beginning of time has had is that we are all guilty before a righteous God. In being a righteous God, He punishes sin. And so the inclination of our heart to want to see justice happen we conveniently don't want to apply that to ourselves. Well, why would God punish me? I'm good. But if we look, we see how we break God's law. And so all people from the beginning of time have rejected God through their actions, through the way they've lived. They have gone after their, des- their own desires rather than after God and are guilty. But God, because of the great love that He has for us, being rich in mercy, sent Jesus. Jesus, 
the baby in the manger, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God in the flesh, condescended to be a humble servant, starting out in a manger, to be the propitiation of sins, to be the sacrifice given for sins. You see, when God gave the law in the Old Testament, He did give the people a way to be cleansed. He gave them the, the sacrificial system. Hebrews 9.22 says, The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And so the people, when they examine the law, they're going to realize they've broken it, and they're guilty before God. And he says, he, he gives them a sacrificial system where there are two spotless lambs, and one is slain for the sins and, and punished for the sin, and the other one carries it away and is set free into the wilderness. But there's a problem with this system that these lambs could really never take away sin. And these priests are mere men interceding between God and man. And so it never was going to take away sins, never going to wipe them clean. And the book of Hebrews spends a lot of time talking about this, how we needed a new priest in the order, it says, of Melchizedek, which his name and his title, the king of Salem, and his name means the king of righteousness, and king of, king of Salem meaning king of, of... But ultimately what Jesus is, is, is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek who comes offers himself the spotless sacrifice for the redemption of mankind. What does this mean? The sacrificial system could never take away the sins of the people because there was a fallible man performing the sacrifices and he's going to die. The animals can never take away the sins of the guilty because they're not like the people. And it's always been a foreshadowing of Christ. Jesus is the ultimate high priest, God himself mediating between man and God, offering himself the only one to fulfill the law, the spotless sacrifice, who takes away the sins of the world by his own blood and who is raised to life to continually intercede for us on our behalf. The Bible talks about that, how at, at this moment that we have one interceding for us, Jesus Christ, who intercedes and continues by his blood once and for all to pay for the sins of the world. To put it in simpler terms, why did Jesus come? Because we are guilty. And we couldn't do a single thing to change that. But Jesus could. And by his blood he did. So that who all, whoever would believe, whoever would call on the name of the Lord might be saved. Not because of what we've done, not because of our ability, not because of what a man or a priest has done, but because of Jesus Christ and what he has done, what God has done for us. Why did the baby come? Why did Jesus come? So that we could be forgiven if we will believe in him. And so when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating the coming of our salvation. You know, this time of year we celebrate Advent, and that is what that word means, the arrival. It's the arrival of the King who takes away the sins of the world. The Bible very clearly states this, Isaiah 53, 3-6, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and, and as one from men, whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The most beautiful part of that scripture is it was written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. This is a prophecy in Isaiah of the one who would come and take away the sins of the world. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. This is what Jesus did on the cross. That all of us have gone astray like sheep. We've gone to our own way. And the Lord has laid our sin on him. Why did Jesus come? Because we have sin, and we're separated from God, and we deserve punishment, but He loves us and makes a way of salvation by His blood, by what He has done, so that we can not only be forgiven, but have eternal life with Him, so that we might be saved from our sin to have eternity with Him. And so when we celebrate Christmas, when we look at the baby in the manger, when we look at this Jesus, we understand and we should know in our heart that Jesus came for us because of our sin that He willingly took to the cross. And He knew this. He knew His purpose. He knew why He was here. As He says in Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus dying in our place so that we might live. Jesus came to save people from their sin and give them eternal life with God. This is the reason he was born. The baby in the manger, the God and the King of the Jews, willingly born to willingly suffer and willingly die at the hands, he came, at the hands of those he came to, he came to save. Jesus died willingly at the hands of the people he came to save. To bear their sin, to bear our sin, so that in him all sin may be perfectly forgiven. And I, and I hope that when you sing that song, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. I hope you understand the truth of that. When you look at the baby in the manger, I hope you understand that he's there for you because of the love that He has for you, because of the sin that separated you from the God who created you, and His love that compelled Him to make a way to bring you back. That's why the baby's in the manger. That's why the shepherds come. That's why the wise men come, because the one who created them loved them and came to save them. That's why Mary was told that even your own heart will be pierced. Because even the one that gave birth to him would have to be redeemed by him. And if I, we, we sang that today. The one who created Mary was Mary's son. But her son also had to become her savior. 
And so when we get to this part, the final question, Jesus is God in the flesh. He came because he loves you, because he was destined to be a ransom for many, to give his life so that others may live, so that we could have forgiveness of sins. The final thing we have to consider about this baby is, what do you say? What do you say in response to this news? What do you say in response to this information? Because in, in the end, all people will believe something about Jesus. When they encounter the truth and the story of the baby in the manger, some people aren't going to care. They're going to hear it. They're going to know it. They might even put out a nativity in their house, but they just don't really care. They've got their own concerns. They've got their own life going on, and they're not going to respond. And there are some people who will not believe, who will reject it. They will call it falsehood. They will not believe what the Bible says about who Jesus is. They will not believe what Jesus has said about himself. They will not believe the countless testimonies that came from that time and the continued witness and evidence of God's goodness to his people and through his people. They will not believe. And there will be some who believe in part. They'll believe that maybe it's true, they'll have some doubts, they may, they may believe and they may go through some motions about it and in the end they don't do anything different than those who don't believe because they only believe in part. But there will be some who believe. They believe this is true. That will respond in faith because of their belief in the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do and what he did do for us. But what is most important is what do you believe? What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the baby in the manger? Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh, who came to die for your sins, to, to bring you back, to reconcile you to God? Have you placed your faith in Him? Because it is by faith alone in Christ that we might be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which man may be saved. And by our own works, the Bible is clear, we cannot save ourselves. So do you believe who Jesus is? What do you believe about the claims made of him or the claims he made about himself? There's only three options of who you can think Jesus is. You can think he's a liar because he believed he was God. And perhaps you might believe, that he knew he wasn't God and said he was. Well, that would make him a liar. And if he's a liar about that, you shouldn't really think of anything else he's had to say as trustworthy. Because some people will say, Jesus, I don't believe he was God, but I believe he was a good teacher. Well, this pe person you're saying is a good teacher claimed to be God. And if he knew he wasn't God and said that, it doesn't make him a very good teacher. Or you could think he's a lunatic. There's plenty of people I've met that think that they are not plenty. A couple people I've met that think they're God or think they are sent from God or they have some specific purpose. They're almost like a prophet of some sort. And if Jesus thought he was God but was not, but thought he was, makes him a lunatic. He's, he's a crazy person. You shouldn't follow as a great teacher a crazy person. And that leaves only one option. If you want to give credit to all the other things Jesus did, but you don't want to call him God, but you, it's easy, he's either a liar He's a lunatic or he's the Lord. He is who he says he was. 
Who do you say that Jesus is? And if you say that he is the Lord, he is God in the flesh, he is the one who came to forgive me and make a way of salvation from my sin, what will you do about it? If Jesus is who the Bible claims he is, he is who he claims to be, what are you going to do with that information? Because there's only two ways to respond. In belief or not. There's even times where people might sort of believe it, but they won't respond to this belief. If you believe something's true that is this significant, you will respond to it. How does the Bible want us to respond? To repent and believe. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preaches this good news of who Jesus was, and they're stricken to the heart, they say, what must we do? Repent and believe. Be baptized for the forgiveness of of your sins. So we must repent and believe. In faith and in faith alone can we be saved. Faith and faith alone in Christ and what he's done can we be saved. Acknowledging our sin, believing in what Christ has done, and confessing him as our Lord and Savior. That is what it means to repent and believe, to turn from our sin and believe in what Jesus has done. Following in obedience, we should then be baptized. When you've responded in faith, you should follow that in that obedience by being baptized. Once you've been baptized, you should then join a church. What is the church? It's the gathering of believers. We are a gathering of believers. That's why we are called a church. We come together to worship. This building, we call it a church, but we are the church. And so if you are a person that believes in Jesus Christ, has responded in faith, has responded in baptism, you should join into a fellowship of believers, a church, to be a part of the church expressed in a local body. In, in that church and in your life, you should serve God, following Him, becoming more like Him, and spreading the good news of the one in whom you've believed. The good news of the God who loved us enough to give Himself so that we could be made right with Him. The good news about the baby that's in the manger. What do you believe? My prayer this morning is that and I know it's true for many in this room that you've believed this news, you've believed this truth about who Jesus is a long time ago. When you've loved him in your life and you've followed him in your life and you've been involved in the church, you've fallen obedience and baptism, you've been serving in the church, serving in your life, and spreading the word. That's my prayers, that that's the truth. But every time we encounter and reflect on what Jesus has done, we have to realize that until the day we're with him in glory, there is still work he's doing in our, in our life. That there are places where we still, unfortunately, remain disobedient. There are still places where sin tries to linger, and we need to rid ourselves of that, cling to what Jesus has done. There's even people that haven't taken that step of placing their faith in him, even though they might intellectually agree with that. You have to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Be safe. Respond. Repent and believe. There's people who've done that and haven't followed in baptism. The Bible is very clear that after we believe, people are baptized. It's over and over in the New Testament. And when people have done that, they get involved in the work. They get involved in the church. They learn. They grow to serve God and to serve others in their life and in the church. And the command he gives us is to go make disciples of all nations.
And so if you're sitting here today and you believe this, there's always room to grow. There's always room to get better at what God calls us to do. There's always room to grow in us looking like Christ. How do you need to do that today? How do you need to respond as a faithful follower of Christ? But the other option is that perhaps you're in this room and you've heard this story and you've maybe even partially believed this story, but you've never truly responded to what Christ has done. You've never believed in your heart that he is who he says he was, that the, who he is who the Bible says he was. You've never called on him for your salvation. That's very important. Attending church, saying the right things, reading the Bible does not save you. Believing in Jesus Christ and calling on him alone for your salvation is what saves you. And if, if you've never done that, that is what you need to do today. So wherever you are today, from that place of needing to call on Christ for your salvation or needing to follow Him more faithfully in a specific way or anywhere in between, following in baptism, joining a church, being faithful, what do you need to do today to be obedient to God because of what Jesus has done for you, because of the baby in the manger? And everything he came to do and did do because of his love for you. How do you need to respond this morning to a God who loves you and gave himself for you so that you could be in relationship with him? However you need to respond, I would encourage you to respond that way today. The best way to celebrate Christmas is to respond to the one we celebrate at Christmas. During this time, the altar will be open. I'll be down front for prayer to talk with you if you have any questions. Respond to the one who loves you and gave himself for you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, this time that we can come together. We can look at your word. We can clearly declare that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh, who came and gave himself for us. And God, I pray that we will respond to that with joy and with worship in our lives and and that we will serve you and be faithful to you. God, I pray that you would reveal in each of our hearts individually how we should respond to you today, that you would convict us, show us, and help us by the power of your Spirit to follow you in obedience. Lord, I pray that if there are any here today who have not made the step of following you in salvation, they have never made you their Lord and Savior, this is, I pray that today would be the day they would do that. Lord, if there are any who need to take further steps of obedience, following you in obedience for baptism, following you to join a church. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts and their lives, showing them what you call them to do today. And Lord, that during this time of invitation, that we would respond to what you invite us to do, and that we would worship you joyfully as you deserve during this time. Work among us today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.